Well, fathers, we open our Bibles as we do each week at this time. We just pray that you would use this time effectively, that our hearts would be challenged, that you would help me to communicate in an appropriate way a proper foundation for what I believe, Father, could be just a most significant series here at Fellowship Bible Church as we study your Son, the Lord Jesus, the greatest topic the world has ever known the greatest person the world has ever known. Father, would you um, open our eyes to truth, encourage us and strengthen us in our Christian walk, I pray. For those who might be searching, Father, may today be the beginning of the end of that journey, that they would find Christ and become a disciple, a follower. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I started my message last week telling you about a phone call that I made to a friend out in the Midwest who uh, I connected with, the one who face-planted in his front lawn with cardiac arrest. Um, Yesterday afternoon, I had another friend a little farther north in the Midwest in Michigan where I grew up in the Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Michigan area. My phone rang. I looked down and it was another friend. Um, Interestingly enough, on Facebook, I had just reconnected with him through Janet's Facebook. Um, um, Let's say that there will probably never be a day when I announce that I have a Facebook account. Um, but I did connect, and I do see some virtues. Um, and uh, what, I, what caught my eye with this friend was that he had put um, uh, MRI or some kind of pictures of his heart up, and he was just getting heart stints. Uh, there's a message here for guys my age, I guess. Um, but it was interesting to look down at my phone and have another friend from the Midwest call me. This guy I've not been in touch with. We were buddies in high school. We haven't talked for years. Do you know how that is? And you know how it goes? We know each other quite well, but all of a sudden, about 30 years has gone by, and and it's been a blink. And so in some ways, we don't know each other. You know how the conversation goes. Tell me about your family. Um, What about your church? He's a believer in Christ. We reminisced on some high school events, a few high school people. Someone that I know, but I don't really know. His name is Mark. We're not going to turn to Mark as we turn to Matthew's gospel this morning. Um, Perhaps that is the, the way it is for you with the gospel of Matthew as we introduce our series. It's someone that you know. You know Matthew, right? Matthew, the first of the four gospels in our New Testament. And, and you can open there with me, please. Um, but I, he's, he's a good friend. You would say of Matthew, I I like Matthew, I know Matthew, he's a good friend, I'm thankful that he's there in my Bible, he's always right there. But I wonder if you really know Matthew. A little bit of that mindset today as we lay a foundation, and I need you to be a little bit patient with me, as um, we maybe take what you could construe as some kind of a, a little bit of an academic approach to laying a groundwork, but I need to transfer some information to us as a group so that we're all on the same page and we kind of understand what we're studying and who it is that wrote this book as for maybe the next two years, most of the time, we turn in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. I challenge you to get tired of it. I don't think you will. It's a remarkable book, this Gospel. 
So the first thing that I want to do, number one in our outline today, is a, first of all, a refresher course in the Gospels. If you've opened to the Gospel of Matthew, um, I'm warning you, we're not going to get very far into the book. We are going to look at Scripture today, um, but we're going to lay a foundation. And I want you, for our text in a way, uh, to use an extra-biblical phrase, and it's at the heading of your page. In, in your Bible, as you open up to Matthew, does it not say, the gospel according to Matthew? See it there? Uh, I want to talk about that for just a few minutes this morning. The gospel according to Matthew. The first thing I think that we need as a church, it's been a while since we went leaping through Luke. That was a series that we did in the Gospels. Other than that, we've only incidentally been there for parables or stories. We've not for a long time preached through, uh, really in any way, we've not expositionally or verse by verse, passage by passage, dealt with an entire Gospel in the 17 years that I've been here. Probably shame on me. Um, But I want us to talk about the gospel, first of all. When you open your Bible to Matthew, you see that it's the gospel according to Matthew. First of all, a refresher course in the gospels. A couple things you need to know. I recognize that this is going to be elementary review to a few people, but to some of you, it will help you put together some things that you know in bits and pieces, but it will bring a unity and a continuity to your thinking that will be useful so that you have a a context for our study, and for some of you, it will be brand new information, and maybe the lights will begin to turn on. Oh, that's why it's in our Bible. The first thing in our refresher course on the gospel that you need to know is that the first four books in our New Testament are called the Gospels. That's why the heading, the Gospel according to Matthew. And so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are called Gospels. And let me just remind you that that word gospel means good news. It means good news. It's about the good news. When you see the word gospel, you could just pencil in the good news according to Matthew. Well, what is the good news? The good news is the life and the ministry and the message and the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so each time when you open to your gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have the gospel according to this man. What does that mean? From his point of view. Gospel means good news. That word gospel is used in a couple different ways. It comes from a Greek word. um, And the only reason, usually when I reference Greek words, it's when they sound like English words. And and that gives, kind of sheds some light on it. And that's what you can do in this word. It's kind of the the word evangelion. Evangelion. Evangelist. One who shares the good news. Evangel. One who speaks the good news. All right? One who speaks forth the good news. And the idea in, in, in English, we get those words evangelism or evangelist, at one who's speaking forth the good news. The good news of what? The good news that our sin series doesn't just stop, but that there is a salvation available. Praise God. That's the good news. And the good news, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. Now, in our Gospels, as we use the word Gospel, let me just remind you really quickly of a couple verses. Uh, how about Romans 1.16? Romans 1.16. Remember that verse? 
And by the way, our IFCA quizzers are going on a trip this weekend out to the Midwest to quiz. They're, they're memorizing the book of Romans. What a phenomenal text to memorize. Pray for them as they leave Friday, come back Sunday evening, as they continue to, to sharpen their skills and hone their preparation for next summer's quizzing. They will memorize the entire book of Romans, about a dozen of our teens. It's incredible. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the... Gospel. What's Paul saying? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? It is the dynamo. Dynamite is the Greek word there. It is the power of God unto salvation. And what's he going to say next? To the Jews first. Why does he say to the Jews first? Because who did Christ come to? To the Jews. You need to remember that in a minute when I comment on that with Matthew's gospel. The power of God unto salvation. Why would we ever be ashamed of the gospel? It's the power of God unto salvation. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to have this, this bicycle. It was um, an old fogey bicycle with a wire basket, but it was comfortable to ride. And I would ride it back and forth to my office and the teens in my youth group would make fun of my bicycle. But I liked my bicycle and I was proud of my bicycle and I wasn't embarrassed of my bicycle. And I kind of wore it as a badge of honor that they made fun of my bicycle. Isn't it funny that we'll do things like that, but when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're kind of a little shy and embarrassed about it. We've got all these little fluky things in our lives that we'll talk about. And we're promoting and we enjoy sharing. But when it comes to the gospel, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Matthew wasn't ashamed of the gospel either. That's just a a thought. When you open up to the first four, you're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing you need to know is that of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are similar in nature. They kind of have a common view of Christ. All right? And so, you know what we call them? We call them the synoptic gospels. Say that. Say synoptic gospels. That's nothing that will really save your life, but it keeps you from kind of being lost when people, uh, if you go to a class or you're in a Sunday school class and somebody says, in the synoptic gospels, the synoptic gospels are, say them with me, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not John. The common view Gospels. And so they have, uh, in the synoptics, um, they're going to have all the parables. And they repeat the parables. Matthew gives the parables. Mark and Luke have parables. But guess what? John doesn't have any parables. He's different. John's kind of marching to to the beat of a different drum. And apart from Passion Week and the whole last week of the earthly ministry of our Lord, as he has his Last Supper and as he goes on Good Friday and the the betrayal and as he goes to the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, apart from that segment, John's gospel is really different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Some of you might not really be aware of that. Um, There's only two other accounts that John shares with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics. And that is the story of Jesus walking on the water and Jesus feeding the 5,000. Those are the only two stories that John has in common. And so the first three books, the first four books are called the Gospels. The first three of the four Gospels are called the synoptic Gospels. Let's try that again. The first four books are called the 
Okay, that's elementary. The first three of those four, a little bit above elementary, is they are the synoptic Gospels. They're synoptic, why? Because they have a common view. You can see shared information or common stories from their perspectives between them. You need to know that in the Gospels, as we study Matthew and as we look at the parallel accounts in the Gospels, we're talking about, in a lot of ways, kind of a biographical sketch of our Lord Jesus. But you need to know that it's not a lifelong. There's a huge gap. What are we going to find in Matthew 1 and 2? We're going to find information, like in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, we're going to find information about the birth of Christ. That's why we're starting this in December, so we can can run through the first chapter or two here in December, laying a foundation and understanding of the of Messiah coming. But other than that, it then fast forwards from essentially other than one account when Jesus was 12 years old at the temple, it then fast forwards to when he was age 30 and we don't have any material on what Jesus was like and, and exactly what happened. I think he was a pretty normal guy. He was sinless. But then the Gospels then pick up and they tell in significant detail the life, the ministry, and the message of our Lord Jesus and his atoning work on the cross in his three years of what we call the public ministry of Christ. And that's when he gathered his disciples, as we'll see even this morning. So the focus is on the first three years of his life and ministry. Um, in, In our New Testament... As we study these Gospels, how many of the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were disciples of Jesus or part of the apostleship? They were the actual 12 disciples of Jesus. How many? Two. Two. Matthew and John. Mark and Luke were not disciples of Jesus. They were contemporaries. Um, Luke, a little bit older. Mark was a younger man. In fact, let's just remind ourselves about a couple of things here. Mark was a younger man. He was likely an eyewitness of, of some of the events around Christ. And so people say, well, where did Mark in our Gospels, remember we're, we're on a refresher about the Gospels right now, um, where did Mark get his information to write down? If he wasn't one of the disciples, remember, because he's writing, where did he get his information? And uh, many Bible students believe that it was probably from a lot of oral account, a lot from Peter, perhaps. We don't know for sure, but probably Peter shared a lot of his experiences with Mark. You'll notice that Mark's name comes up in the book of Acts, and he was part of the leadership team and the preaching corps, and he was around Peter and even Paul some, and he heard from those guys, and he checked the facts, and he wrote those things down. Luke was known as a physician, and he was probably the most educated of the, of the, of the writers of the gospel. He was not a disciple. Um, Mark was not a disciple. Luke was not a disciple. He was well-educated. He addresses a broader range uh, of people there. And he, he went out, if you read the first couple verses of Luke, you notice that he put together an orderly account for his friend Theophilus. And so he did research. He was known as a historian, and he was known as a medical doctor. So their personalities come through a little bit as well. John, you remember, was the beloved, right? John was of the disciples, the one who was closest to Jesus. So when you go to John's gospel, you get an intimate look at Jesus. You also get a defensive friend, 
John's gospel is all about defending the deity of Christ. In fact, he wrote in the key verse of his of 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 the gospel of John. He wrote um, about the idea that that these things I have written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's written in his his gospel focuses on seven main miracles that Jesus did. And John's gospel basically holds up seven miracles as illustrations of the fact that Jesus had to be who he said he was. And he was very intimately involved with him. You'll recall John was closest. There were, if we think about the 12 disciples, John was the beloved. He was the one who leaned on Jesus. He was the one that always wanted to get next to Jesus. Is that how you are? John just wanted, wherever Jesus was, that's where John wanted to be. Then there were three that Jesus seemed to pay close attention to. It's a little bit of a training principle there. As though Jesus had the one that he was closest to and he poured his life into. The one that was watching and breathe in and breathe out. And then there were the three. Peter, James, and John with them. Those three then were kind of a group that Jesus kept close to him. They were always around Jesus. And then you had the rest for the twelve and uh, it's just, just kind of interesting to see how that breaks down. Matthew, you need to understand, and we're going to see this in a minute, was a publican. You know that word? A publican and a tax collector. Matthew, it is likely, we'll say this again in a minute, it's likely had the worst testimony, or maybe you would say the best testimony of all the disciples. Of all the disciples who had a sinful, ugly, rotten past, it's likely that Matthew would win the trophy. You need to understand that each of these Gospels presents Christ in a different way. Sometimes we use the illustration of why are there four Gospels, and we'll use the illustration of a crossroads, of four corners where there's been a wreck, and you're the police officer that has to go around and gain an account of what happened at the wreck. You weren't there, but you've got to write down the report as to what happened. And so you go to this corner where there's a group of people, and they tell you, and then you cross the street and go to the other corner, and they tell you, and it's a a little bit different than the way the people on that corner saw it. And so you go over to the other corner, and that's a little different than both of those corners, and you end up at the fourth corner. But by the time you're done, what are you able to do? You're able to write a pretty accurate report and figure out how to put that all together, but everybody from their vantage point saw it with just a little different nuance. And that's how you need to think about the Gospels very much. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We couldn't capture Jesus in just one book. We couldn't capture his ministry and his message, but we needed these four guys to to bring it to life for us from their different angles. Now listen closely. Matthew, in the theme, he presents Christ as the sovereign king. I've already said that in our service today, but you need to know that. It's the sovereign king. Mark, you need to know, is the shortest of the Gospels, and Jesus is presented as the servant He's presented as a servant. Matthew, the king, and it's, it's focused on Israel and the Jews. Mark is kind of, think of Mark's gospel as the Reader's Digest condensed version. It reads real simple. You won't find what we're going to deal with next week in Mark's gospel. You know what our message is going to be from next week? 17 verses of a genealogy. Oh, my word. It's, it's amazing. It's great stuff. Interesting people. And there's a reason that it's there. It lays a foundation. And did you notice that Matthew is the longest of the Gospels because he included details. 
We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Mark, he didn't, he didn't put all those details in. Mark deals in one or two verses what Matthew takes 17 verses to deal with. And so Mark's gospel is often a real good gospel. When you hand a testament to somebody at work who might be searching spiritually or they need to understand, who hand them the testament and say, read the gospel of Mark. We often think John, John plunges deep. And if somebody's really a good thinker, read the gospel of John. But if somebody's just kind of superficial and they don't really know anything about the Bible, put them on to Mark. That's the Reader's Digest condensed version. In Luke, he's the son of man. In Luke, his humanity is emphasized. Luke was a physician. Luke gives us the greatest details about his birth, his human birth. And, and his, he just kind of has a human touch. Luke was also writing to Greeks, to the Gentiles, to the world at large, not specifically to the Jews. And then John, he's presented as the Son of God. The Son of God. His deity is emphasized. John wants to defend him apologetically. John wants the world to know that he is the Messiah, and you can know that without any doubt. Did you get that? The four Gospels, the three are synoptic, they're common. Of the four, they have a theme. The theme of Matthew is Jesus is the sovereign King. He's the sovereign king. In Mark, he's what? He's a humble servant. In Luke, he's the son of man. And in John, he's the son of God. So just a way to think. Okay, so that's a little refresher course on the Gospels. The second part I want to talk about are some reminders about Matthew himself. Not Matthew himself, excuse me, but Matthew the Gospel. Number two today... Some reminders about Matthew, the Gospel. It will help you with our study in the days ahead if you remember these things. I've already said, number one, that he wrote primarily to a Jewish audience. There's Jewish thought. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to grow in your understanding of how a Jew in Bible times thought and what they understood and how they saw the world, or you will never understand Matthew. It's not always easy. One real quick thing that you're very familiar with would be, do you remember that when the angel revealed, right before the angel spoke to Joseph in a dream to keep Mary as his wife, to take her as his wife, but to, to wait on their plans, that he found out that she was with child. The angel came to him in a dream and clarified that it was through the Holy Spirit that that happened. And do you remember that the next part of the verse says that he had in mind to do what? Remember what Joseph had in mind to do? To put her away, the King James, to put her away privately. To divorce her. To keep her from public scorn as her tummy grew. And he was going to divorce her. Do you know that, that that's all about Jewish Law and Jewish culture right there. Understanding that divorcement. That's a simple example of how in Matthew you've got to understand the mindset. Matthew knew his Old Testament. He was a dirty, rotten old tax collector publican, but he evidently somewhere along the line studied his Old Testament upwards of a hundred times in Matthew's Gospel. He is either going to quote or he's going to infer the Old Testament. He's going to particularly talk about the significance of prophecies in the Old Testament. And he knew his Old Testament. And he knew and he was out to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Specifically to the Jews who longed for his appearing. He's trying to show his Jewish audience that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. The fourth thing is that Matthew wrote to encourage Jewish believers. Why? 
Why would Matthew write to encourage those who were Jewish, who were believers in Christ? Have you noticed that it's difficult for a Jew to be a believer in Christ? To this day, many Jewish people do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In that day, they didn't either. And there he was. But if you were a believer and you did understand it, and your eyes were open and you were a follower of Christ... How discouraging would it be to be there and see that your own neighborhood put him on a cross and killed him? And so one of the things Matthew's going to do is he's going to talk about the end of the story. Matthew's going to tell us more about what's going to happen in the future. Don't be discouraged. He is King Jesus. He's coming again. Matthew is also the longest um, of the Gospels because he's going to focus, listen to this, on the teaching ministry of Jesus. If you want to know the very words of Jesus, now they're referenced in all the Gospels and quoted, but in Matthew's Gospel, we're going to get truckloads of the teaching of Jesus. You're going to be able to, to think as though Jesus were sitting here on a stool and he's going to discourse, he's going to preach, he's going to talk. The two most familiar in the Gospel will be right away, early on in our study, we're going to have what's extra-biblical title to it, the Sermon on the Mount. You know that? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's extensive. It's probably a Reader's Digest condensed version of about a three-hour discourse. We'll talk more about it when we get there. I want to tell you something. The Sermon on the Mount will change your life if you let it. We're going to talk about how that message, specifically given by Jesus to Jewish people, applies to Gentiles in the church today. It's an interesting study. The other most familiar discourse is, is back in chapters, uh, what, 22, 23, 24, 25? Um, I'm, I'm off notes here. Chapter 24 and 25. Chapters 24 and 25. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's an extensive passage on the return of Christ and God's plan for Israel in the future. It's very extensive. So Matthew includes these extensive teaching. And so you'll find that his chapters are long and that the gospel itself is long. Don't let it wear you out. Commit to learning it. Commit to getting to know Matthew as an intimate friend, not a distant friend. I want to challenge you to read the gospel of Matthew in the weeks ahead. Finally, let's just talk about Matthew himself. So what we've done here, number one, we've had briefly a refresher course on the Gospels, what they are, what they're like. Then we've had some reminders about Matthew, the Gospel itself. How about finally, number three, let's talk about a repulsive man who finds Jesus, Matthew himself, a repulsive man who finds Jesus. We really haven't looked in our Bible this morning, and that's pretty serious. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Would you please? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And in just a few minutes, let me give you three things that you need to know about Matthew. The first one is that he was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. We don't know a lot about Matthew's life. Matthew, when he writes, is very humble. He only references himself twice. He references himself by the name of Matthew. Mark and Luke reference him as Levi. He references himself as Matthew, and he includes the tax collector. He references it in his calling that we're going to read here. And then following this in chapter 10 of Matthew, he includes his name in the list of the 12 disciples. That's all we know. He never talks about himself. He never introduces himself. But let's look at Matthew's calling. 
It's very brief in Matthew's gospel. And then I want us to turn very quickly to Luke chapter 5, and then we'll wrap up there. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. It then let's read the rest because it's pertinent. And as Jesus reclined at table, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? First thing you need to know about Matthew, right there, summarized in my tone of voice, because it's how it's supposed to be. Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were despicable. The reason they were despicable is because he was a Jew himself, but Rome was ruling over Israel then, and what they did was the governors would employ, there was a whole procedure on how they would auction off tax zones, and certain locals would bid and get the right to collect the taxes for a certain zone, and if you were of a certain level of ilk then you would go for that kind of thing because here's what would happen. You had, a, you, had the, you had the government of Rome at your service to enforce your words and pretty much what you decided and could get away with, they would stand with you. They laid down a certain level of taxes and then it was up to you to inflate that so that you could glean an earning and get extra money for them. The more extra money you got for Rome, the more that better they treated you and the more you could skim off the top for yourself. And so you were a cutthroat. You knew the local people. You knew their property boundaries. They couldn't hide their personal property from you. They couldn't deceive you because you grew up there, and yet you were reporting to Rome all the time. Oh, we didn't get that guy's taxes, and you're keeping a record. And so people hated to see you come. You were a liar. You were a cheat. You were dishonest. You you were cutthroat. You were just despicable in the eyes of the people. You were a tax collector. Second thing you need to know is, along that line, is that he was a traitor. I've already said enough. You were a traitor to your own people. So he was a tax collector. He was a traitor. But let me, let's just conclude with this note. But he had a testimony. He had a testimony. Well, you read, Luke amplifies what Matthew wouldn't do for himself. Matthew would not share for himself his own testimony. You look quick, and I'll read quickly. Matthew, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. Luke 5, 27 through 32. It says in the caption of my Bible, Jesus calls Levi. That's Matthew. After this, Luke says, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And now notice verse 28. Here's Matthew's testimony. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. When you think about Matthew, don't think about a dirtbag who for many years was not liked in his community. Think about the day that he met Jesus and that Jesus found him. And think about the day that he stood up from his tax booth, a little portable office window where he collected and people saw him and where he ran his business and, and where people would hiss at him and throw stones and let dirt fly in the air and let the breeze carry dust down on Matthew's little office. They hated him. But then Jesus came by and he said to Matthew, follow me. And he left everything and followed Jesus. Very quickly, Matthew discerned that Jesus was the Messiah. 
or something really different about this guy. Notice what Luke adds. Remember in Matthew's account, I don't know if you can remember what I just read, it said then that he went to a a house and they had a feast. Luke tells us that that was Matthew's house itself. Look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast. Levi gets up, leaves everything, follows Jesus, goes to his house, and he fixes a great feast in his house, and there it says there was a large company of tax collectors and others. The only friends that Matthew had were other scum-of-the-earth tax collectors, publicans. They Often in your New Testament, you remember that phrase? Publicans and sinners. The Pharisees, you're going to see it again. When they accuse Jesus, he's with publicans and sinners. There's another text in Matthew chapter 21 that equates tax collectors and prostitutes at the same level. But look, at he gathers them. He wanted his friends to meet Jesus. Do you want your friends to meet Jesus? He has a feast at his house. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There it is. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's the answer to our sin series. Jesus didn't come to take care of people who weren't sick. Jesus came to rescue sinners from their sin. And Matthew qualified and he said, Matthew, Matthew, you come with me. So know that when we're dealing with Matthew, we're dealing with a detail guy, a guy who was good with numbers in his tax office, good with paperwork. It's probably why he wrote down the longest account. But know that you're dealing with a dirtbag, a guy who was sworn at, who swore back at people, a guy who lied, a guy who was a cutthroat, a guy who did people dirty, the kind of guy who had picked the gold out of his grandma's teeth before they closed the casket. And Jesus said, Come on, Matthew. It's over, baby. It's over. Come and follow me. I came to rescue people like you. Any other dirtbags out there this morning? Any other people that have a past, but now you have a testimony? How about somebody that needs to start their testimony today? Say, today's the day. Jesus is still calling us to follow him. And we're going to follow him all the way through Matthew's gospel. It's going to change our lives. It's going to change our families. It's going to change our churches. Church, you pray to that end. Let's bow in prayer. Stand with me, please. We must be dismissed. Maybe before I close this out, even though time's of the essence, if Jesus walked by today and said, come follow me, would you drop everything? Do you have things in your life holding you back from following Jesus? Some of us need to up, up the, the grade, the quality of our, of our following, of our discipleship. Matthew's Gospel is going to teach us how to do that. Would you ask God to help us be better followers of Christ? Father, today we want to be like Matthew, and we want to be willing to just leave our, our old past behind drop it and and sit down and feast with you and introduce you to our friends and, and then follow you for every minute that we can. Father, would you use this session, these sessions ahead, these sermons to change our lives, that we would be like Matthew, that though we have a past, we now have a testimony of being a follower of Christ. Strengthen us in that testimony, I pray. Dismiss us with your peace. May your good hand be upon us. As we head to our classes and head to our homes, then in Jesus' name we pray.